0: From NBC5 and the Dallas Morning News, this is the Lone Star Politics Podcast. I'm Chris Blake. At the state and local levels, dare I say it, almost feels like things have started to slow down. Local election runoffs are over, and the state legislature has wrapped up. Nationally, and even internationally, it's a different story. Vice President Kamala Harris visited the Northern Triangle last week, and President Joe Biden attended a G7 summit in the United Kingdom. GROMER IS OFF THIS WEEK, BUT JULIE TALKS TO NEWLY-ELECTED PLANO MAYOR JOHN MUNZ AND TODD GILMAN, THE WASHINGTON BUREAU CHIEF FOR THE DALLAS MORNING NEWS. BUT FIRST, PLEASE TAKE A MOMENT TO RATE, REVIEW, AND SUBSCRIBE TO THE LONE STAR POLITICS PODCAST. YOU CAN HELP MAKE THE SHOW MORE ACCESSIBLE TO OTHERS. PLANO MAYOR JOHN MUNZ WAS ELECTED LAST MONTH, REPLACING HARRY LaRosselier, WHO SERVED FROM 2013 TO THIS YEAR AND COULD NOT RUN AGAIN DUE TO TERM LIMITS. MUNZ IS A BUSINESSMAN AND longtime PLANO RESIDENT whose father was mayor from 1992 to 96. Munns has been involved in the city in several capacities over the years, serving on the Planning and Zoning Commission, Economic Development Board, and on the Plano ISD School Board. In the May 1st election, Munns garnered 54% of the vote to defeat former city council member Lily Bao and retired professor Lydia Ortega. Here's Julie with the new mayor.
1: Mayor Munns, thank you so much for being with us.
0: Thank you for having
2: me, Julie.
1: So you've been on this job now for about a month, but you come in with plenty of experience. You were the chair of the Zone and Planning Commission. I have to have this written down because there's so much stuff. Economics Development Board, Plano, ISD. So different gig now, but what's the difference been like?
2: Well, I I think because Plano's the ninth largest city in Texas, it's a bigger deal than uh, when my dad was mayor in the early 90s. We were probably only about 70 or 80,000 people. And I just didn't remember when he was mayor how, how important this job is today and, and how busy it is. But it, it's, a, it's a good thing.
1: So it's really family business for you with your father have been mayor of, father was mayor of Plano. And now you step into the role.
2: Yeah, he was mayor uh, from 92 to 96. And at that same time, I was on the Plano School Board. So back then, we didn't have email and cell phones and all these things, so we always got phone calls, whether it be a complaint about water or a complaint about their child. And uh, there were times that uh, I pretended to be the mayor when he wasn't around and I had to take a phone call. So. I do have that experience to a certain degree.
1: Oh, well, that is very interesting. I bet people are really enjoying <laughs> hearing that story now. And it is interesting because then you really had to rely on phone calls. I happen to be a phone person. So whenever I think there's going to be any confusion, I always pick up the phone. But I think I'm in the minority on that now.
2: I think you probably are. But it, it was the best way to resolve an issue. I can tell you that.
1: So as mayor, what's your first goal?
2: Well, my first order of business is to maintain what we have. And the fact that the pandemic is hopefully behind us or close to behind us, things have changed. I mean, we, we are a corporate hub, obviously, and and that's, that's a big part of who we are. And so because of the office uh, uh, issue and, and retail issue, we're really dependent upon making sure that our corporate partners have the amenities, have the things that they need to stay. And we want to make sure, uh, obviously, our entire community uh, has what they need. Plano's, you know, it's it's not a growth city like the neighbors to our north. Uh, we have about 3% of land left, and we have to be really thoughtful about how we continue to uh, expand and at the same time really try to revitalize areas uh, that are older.
1: When you, you know you talked about how you don't have a lot of growth left like your neighbors to the north but your neighbors to the north and your neighbors all over drive right through Plano because there's a huge entertainment district there are a lot of different restaurants how do you keep up with that?
2: Well it Plano is such a great place to uh, to live work and play uh we, we know employees want to live in Plano. Uh we we want to be able to provide all the amenities that somebody would want uh living here in Plano. And so it's it's a challenge. It's obviously a real challenge for for everybody, actually, not just Plano, after what we've been through. But uh we are going to make every effort uh to come back strong and, and really be that city of excellence that we all talk about.
1: And you just touched on that challenge. Is that the biggest challenge you face or what do you think is?
2: Yeah, I think the the office space availability is going to be a challenge for all of us, not just Plano, but Dallas and and other cities around us. Um, and it's going to take a little time for businesses to understand how to move forward, how to bring people back, whether or not they do bring, bring people back. And so there's going to be a uh, some real challenges in the near future until they can kind of figure out how they wanna move forward with their employees, whether they be in the office or whether they have a hybrid uh, half home, half at the office.
1: I, I think that's really the way in many ways it could be going. So then you will have all these buildings, not just in Plano, but all over that are filled with office space. So is the challenge, what do you do with that space?
2: Well, there's there's obviously a need for office uh, and and the subleasing market, I think, is going to be something that we really haven't experienced a whole lot here in Texas. But I think it's going to be one that we have to start understanding and allowing some of these big, uh, large corporate buildings to be able to sublease and find these niches that people can use or their office space and maybe smaller companies, small to medium sized companies. And we're, we're gonna have to be adaptable. We're gonna have to be able to pivot. And I think that's gonna require some patience on our community to understand that not everything is like it was two and a half years ago.
1: Mayor, before I let you go, I know that service is a very important part of your life. So as mayor, A, how do you have the time? How do you incorporate that into the role? And how do you spread the idea of service to others?
2: Well, it's been an example. And I think my parents showed me that example through their actions. And my wife and I do the same thing because we really believe that giving back to that community is what makes a community so great. And I think if you lead by example and show that Uh, the task that of the needs of the community are one that if we can all get behind, we can make such a difference. And I think just showing that and being that example and doing it yourself uh, helps others realize, you know what, I need to do this as well.
1: Perfect way to leave it. Mayor John Munns. thanks so much for being with us. It was nice to talk to you for the first time and please return to Lone Star Politics.
2: Oh, I'd love to, and thank you for having me, Julie.
1: Thank you.
0: Julian Gromer talked to the former Plano mayor, Harry LaRosseliere, earlier this year about his terms. To hear that conversation, scroll back to find our episode from February 7th. At the federal level, the president and vice president both made international trips last week, with President Joe Biden making his first overseas trip to the G7 in the UK, and Vice President Kamala Harris visiting the Northern Triangle, Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala in an effort to address immigration. And at the state level, Governor Greg Abbott hinted at plans to build a border wall in Texas last week. And state Democrats will meet with Vice President Harris about voting rights after they killed an elections bill in the waning hours of the state legislature two weeks ago. To cover all of it, here's Julie with Todd Gilman, the Washington bureau chief for the Dallas Morning News.
1: So, Todd Gilman joins us now, the Washington bureau chief for the Dallas Morning News. First of all, Todd, it's you and me today. Gromer left me this week.
3: Oh, I can't even believe he gets time off.
1: Who gets time off? Who gets time off, right? Who gets time off? Well, it's because I'm here to hold down the fort. Um, Let's begin with the president. First overseas trip for President Biden as president. Obviously, there are many times as vice president. What does he need to accomplish?
3: Well, he needs to reset the uh, the U.S. relationships with our Western allies, um, which really, uh, in a sense, is a no-brainer, easy to do. He really doesn't have to do anything except not be Donald Trump. But, of course, there's, there's the whole issue of reassuring uh, Germany and the U.K. and the others in the G7 that the U.S. is a reliable partner despite the anomaly of the last four years. And uh, so far, they seem to be giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's only been in office a few months, of course. They they were very welcoming. Boris Johnson, who of course was famously close with President Trump, and uh, and Biden actually made fun of him for being kind of uh, visually even a clone of Trump, uh, seemed to set all that aside. The Prime Minister of the, of, of the UK said, "Oh, Biden, you know, I would never disagree with him on anything in public." Um, so you know people understand the united states is the leader of the g7 of the western uh powers and uh, uh biden has many relationships he he just while he was at the g7 invited angela merkel of germany to the uh, to the white house in a few weeks uh he has relationships to build upon he's not starting from scratch
1: because obviously he has seen and spoken to many of these leaders when he was the vice president
3: right and and he was Uh, Even before that, he was the Senate Foreign Relations Chair. He was very active, well-known before. One of the reasons that Barack Obama chose him uh, as his vice president was that Obama was not terribly experienced in the ways of Washington and international affairs, and he needed to pick an elder statesman sort of figure, and Biden presented that. So really, there aren't a lot of people... Uh, in government or in opposition in our government who have the depth of relationships and experience on the foreign stage. Now, you can question his judgment uh, and and say whether that experience has done him any good, but uh, Biden definitely has, you know, decades of experience in this sort of work.
1: Now, many eyes are on the last day of the trip when President Biden meets with Vladimir Putin. What news needs to come out of this for the president?
3: Well, it's, it's been really interesting to watch the White House, the National Security Advisor and others have gone out of their way to drum the message that this is not a reward for anything. Uh, we're not meeting with Putin in order to say, good job, thanks for toning it down or whatever. Uh, they're saying, look, he's our major adversary. One of our major adversaries, he's a, a major player He's not going anywhere. He's a dictator, longest-serving dictator uh, of any major country, certainly. And uh, he needs to be dealt with. And ignoring him doesn't make any sense. And therefore, it makes uh, every sense for, for Biden, this is the argument from the White House, to go to Geneva to talk to Putin, to tell him in person that we expect Russia to crack down on the hackers, which nobody really believes are acting entirely on their own. Everyone understands that they have the uh, the protection, if not the explicit encouragement of the Russian state, the Solar Winds hack, the hack that shut down the East Coast uh, fuel pipeline, these are huge problems. Not to mention the military menacing of Ukraine and other neighbors of Russia. Uh, there are a lot of issues on the table. There are, there, there are Americans who are being held, effectively held hostage by the Russian state, one of them from Fort Worth, Trevor Reed. Uh, that issue is on the agenda, trumped up charges. He's in prison for years, uh, and we assume, it's widely assumed by the U.S. government that Russia arrested and convicted him and a few others as bargaining chips. So, you know, this is the time when those bargaining chips get exchanged. It's possible that we will see Reid and some of the others freed in coming weeks? Possibly not. Uh, If there are any deliverables like that, Biden would score a win. But again, the White House is not. uh, They are really lowering expectations that uh, nobody should anticipate any deals coming out of this summit.
1: Vice President Kamala Harris, she was in the Northern Triangle this week on immigration issues. But along the way, Todd, as you know, questions about when she will visit the border, if she will visit the border. Was this trip a success for her? And does there need to be a stronger message from the White House on what exactly her role is?
3: Well, you know, the White House has been very clear on what her role is, but they have been somewhat drowned out. By a rather vociferous and and disingenuous chorus from the Republicans, who say Kamala Harris is the borders are. Well, she's never been the borders are. That was not the assignment that Biden gave her. Biden gave her the assignment that he had under Obama as vice president, which was to liaise with. The Northern Triangle, these uh, Central American countries that most of the refugee migrants come from, and with Mexico to deal with the root causes, the the push factors coming out of that region that cause so many people to abandon their homes and villages and, you know seek better opportunity north of the Rio Grande. Um, that doesn't make her. the borders are per se, in charge of securing ports of entry and catching uh, the, the the migrants who come across the border illegally in irregular ways, as they say. Um, but they have really, really struggled to break through that noise. And, and Vice President Harris faced question after question during this trip, if you're the border's are, why aren't you going to the border? And she finally has kind of sort of settled on a message after weeks and weeks and weeks of struggling to directly address that and saying, look, I'm here. I'm dealing with these issues now. I'll go to the border. Um, She said, I'm more interested in dealing with the root causes of migration than some grand gestures of going to the border, which is a a rather um, uh, fraught phrase for her to choose to kind of derive the idea of going to the border and seeing it for yourself as a grand gesture. Um, Senator Cornyn, for instance, said, you don't know what you don't know. It's important to see things on the ground. And, you know, it will be a spectacle and the Republicans will will make a huge deal when she finally goes. It might've been better if she had sort of preemptively gone to the border early in the administration to say, okay, I've seen this, and now we turn to Guatemala and Honduras and El Salvador. Uh, but." You know, they they missed that opportunity, and now she is where she is. It, it was a successful trip in the sense that she's building these relationships. Unlike Biden, she doesn't have that depth of experience in foreign policy. Uh, and she did send a very forceful message while she was in Central America to migrants: Please don't go to the United States. We're not going to accept you. Whether that breaks through the noise, whether you know people believe that, whether their desperation. Uh, overcomes the risk that they know they're facing when they and their kids go north. You know, we'll see in coming months.
1: Speaking of the vice president, another one of her responsibilities is voting rights. This week, she will be meeting with Texas lawmakers, Democrats, who walked out instead of voting on a voting bill. And there will be some Texas senators there as well who opposed it. Okay, so the thing is, and you know this, Todd, they're going to have to vote. They're going to have to vote on this again. This is going to come up in a special session. So, is this is there is her meeting with them to talk about that? Is her meeting with them to talk about the national voting laws? What, what do you think will come from that?
3: Well, it's it's a great question. And initially when it came out of the Vice President's office that she had invited these 10 Democrats uh, including the leaders of of the walkout that killed SB7. Uh, that it was kind of a reward, but just to celebrate, look how how forcefully the Texas Democrats fought against this voter suppression bill as Democrats view it. Uh, And it very quickly became apparent from the comments from Chris Turner, the head of the Democrats in the Texas House, and from others uh, who are coming up to Washington to meet with Vice President at the White House, that the whole purpose of this meeting is to put pressure on Senator Joe Manchin who's a holdout a Democrat from West Virginia on the voting rights bill that came out of the House but stuck in the Senate, and generally put pressure on Congress to move ahead with tightening up voting rights and scrutiny on states like Texas that uh, have escaped federal oversight of their of their uh, uh, elections for the last seven years thanks to the Supreme Court. Uh, so I, I think what we're going to see is is Kamala Harris celebrating the heroism of these Texas Democrats in the face of overwhelming odds and winning at least a temporary victory and kind of juxtaposing that with, look at what a bunch of chickens we've got over in the Senate, the, the Republicans who refuse to accept voting rights and the Democrats who refuse to rally together with, with the rest of us to push forward on the voting rights issue. So it really, it serves that, that double purpose, celebrating the Texas Democrats in order to put pressure on congressional Democrats.
1: And before I let you go, Todd, this week, Governor Abbott essentially made an announcement about an announcement saying that Texas would build border barriers. As for the specifics, how it's going to be done, how Texas plans to pay for it, that's supposed to come next week. How's this all going over in Washington?
3: Well, uh, the the president, of course, was overseas when, when uh, Governor Abbott made this announcement that he was fixing to make an announcement. Um, Clearly Democrats and the administration are not going to be happy about this. Uh, What we've heard so far is that they view it as political theater. Uh, I have not heard this argument yet, but I expect to very soon, uh, kind of disgruntlement that the reason Texas has four or five billion dollars extra is because of the windfall coming from the Biden administration pushing through this huge coronavirus uh, relief bill in March, which includes enormous sums for the states, most of which didn't actually, as it turned out, lose money during the pandemic, including Texas. So Texas kind of is a wash with money in its budget, partly because of the Biden administration. So really, I, you know, I, I don't think it's going to cost $4 billion to build whatever it is that Abbott is talking about. But ultimately, because money is fungible and can move from one pot to another, uh, that's, that's federal tax dollars that will be used to, you know, to poke the eye of the Biden administration.
1: It'll be interesting, too, because I spoke to Representative Rafael Anshia yesterday, who basically said this is money you can use for education. So I expect to hear a lot of that argument. And this, listen, this could go to the courts as well.
3: Right, and Anchia by the way, is going to be one of the Democrats who will be at the White House with Kamala Harris. Uh, no doubt about it, You know, if there's money to do that kind of priority, there's money to do other priorities. A lot of this is about uh, the governor's reelection campaign and positioning himself as tougher than uh, his primary opponents, Senator Huffines, for instance, who are attacking him from the right in next spring's gubernatorial primary. Uh, Abbott is trying to shore up his support and we'll see more of these kinds of ideas.
1: Todd, next time Gromer's gone, why don't you get on a plane and come here and sit with me?
3: I would love to. All
1: right, I miss seeing you in person, but it's gonna be soon for sure and I'll talk to you soon.
0: Thanks to Plano Mayor John Munns and Todd Gilman for joining the show this week. Stay up to date with everything related to Texas politics at NBCDFW.com slash Lone Star Politics. We'll talk to you next week.